You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in, welcome in. It is Thursday, April the 9th. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And this is Winning Cures Everything. You can find us, of course, over at winningcureseverything.com. That is the website. It's got everything that you need to know about us over there. All of our picks, previews, podcasts, videos, social media platforms, you can uh, you can find it all right there. Make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure that you are sharing the show out with your friends, if you would so kindly. And if you find the time, leave a nice review. Tell your buddies about it. Leave us some comments. Uh, you can jump in on the show. We are live, of course, right now. If you're watching this, you know what's up. We're on YouTube. We're on Periscope. We're on Twitch. We're on Facebook, etc., Uh, The podcast will be up as soon as we are done with the live show. Uh, You can always subscribe to that. Google Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Matt jumps in already. He said, sup, sup, Matt. Sup to everybody else that uh, that is flying in here. I can can see lots and lots of people are watching, so that's definitely good. Um, So on today's show, we've got Lynn Simon coming in. He is the attorney um, that, you know, is an advisor for the NCPA. Uh, we'll go through all of his uh, his stuff here in a minute, but wanted to start out today's show by discussing Chris Johnson, former NFL running back. He is accused of a murder for hire plot. Now, obviously, everybody has watched Tiger King at this point. We all know that uh, that Joe Exotic uh, was accused of trying to have that uh, bitch Carol Baskin killed, as he says. Um, this is. More like real life stuff, right? <laughs> this and, and I understand that was real life. That was documentary. I get it. But um, the story is former NFL running back Chris Johnson is accused of paying a suspected gang member for allegedly killing two men who shot him and killed his friend in 2015, according to court documents obtained by TMZ Sports. Johnson, 34, has not been charged with a crime, but prosecutors believe he paid a noted Florida gang member named Dominic Bolden, to kill the suspected gunman in a March 2015 drive-by shooting in Orlando. Um, Johnson, a three-time Pro Bowler who last played in 2017 for the Cardinals, was shot in the shoulder during the Orlando shooting, but made a full recovery. The uh, The driver of Johnson's Jeep, uh, Drikius Orico uh, Johnson, died after being shot in the head. Police at the time said Johnson was uncooperative, and investigators suspected the vehicle had been targeted. Um 
we can go through a whole bunch of other stuff here. Johnson tweeted earlier that it was uh, false news. Um, basically, this whole thing is built on court documents that were, uh, it was a statement by somebody that had a reason to try and take people down with him, right? I guess, yeah. It's, all I know is that all I read was that it was from an informant, um, from what little uh, experience I have with law enforcement stuff from being just a criminal justice major and uh, doing like an internship. Informants are really, really, really bad. Um, they're, they're hard to bring actual charges if there's no evidence outside of an informant's uh, thing. They usually have great information. The problem is you can't trust them because they're only giving you information to get something in return. And while I think most of the stuff they say has a lot of potential to be true, it's really hard to bring in court. I mean, it just is. As a, as a prosecutor, you can get a lot of evidence for a lot of things, but it's hard to get a judgment. Yeah. That's, I, I would imagine there's not a lot of evidence here. There's not a lot of anything else. It's one it guy sounds saying, like Chris Johnson was involved in gang activity and very comfortable in a gang world. And the people who shot him and his friend, or I thought it was his family member, his cousin. But yeah, yeah, I think anyway. I think so. Um, you know, the you know, sad that that you know he was shot and that that his friend or family member died. These people are now dead. You know, I I don't know, man. I, I I'm a cynical person, and I come across as an asshole a lot of times, but. Like I'm not gonna lose any sleep over if some gang members are dying. I'm just not, I'm just not. I can I'm just not. I mean, you're, it's, you're terrible people, and you're you're a drain on society. It'll tell you exactly you know? what you need to know when it said that Johnson was uncooperative with the investigation when he was uh, a victim. Yeah, you know, he wanted. He probably wanted. He knew who these guys were. If he thought he was targeted, and he probably wanted to take care of himself. I, and you know what though? There is a part of me that understands that because yeah. I. Th- the scary things that happen when you become a dad for the first time ever, you start thinking of what happens if somebody hurts my kids. And, and it's just one of those things where I think about, you know, the situation where I'm, I'm okay burning the rest of my life. I'm, I I am, I'm, I'm totally fine with, with cashing in and blowing it all on finding whoever hurt my child and making sure that they hurt and that they don't live anymore. And I don't want that to go into the police's hands. I don't want it to go to the justice hands. I, I want to take care of it. And then if that costs me the rest of my life, that's fine. I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah. That so so I think sense. about that. And so it's really hard for me to say, you know, I wouldn't want to be cooperative. You know, I, I, I probably would be cooperative. But at the same time, there's that part inside the back of my head that says, I fully understand wanting to handle this myself. Yeah. Now you're, uh, you're dead on. Then make that. it right. Totally doesn't make it right. Completely illegal. Not okay to do. But I, I but get, you get it. it. Yeah, I get it. Um, it, there, I'm sure there will be much more about this come out. It it just happened uh, today. Like the the story just popped today. Well, at some point so, in time, we got to get in. We got to get evidence. We yeah, got to get we more get, than just this guy. We got to get corroboration. You got to get a whole lot more than what we got right now. A yeah, whole all, lot. All it is right now is a court document from something that was that was said. You know, yeah. so is what it is. Uh, next topic before we bring in Lynn, uh, Rose Namajunas 
is out of UFC 249. So the co-headliner uh, is already lost a fighter. Uh, Rose is out. Two of her family members just died from COVID-19, um, COVID-19 complications, and she will not be fighting. There was no other reason given other than that, but I don't think you need another reason other than nope. that. Um, that's, that's all she needs. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan, has he came on his podcast and discussed this. You know, Dana White said that Joe was going to be at these fights. Uh, Joe has not confirmed that himself. He said he doesn't know where they are. He doesn't know what's yeah. going on. Nobody has given him any kind of information. Uh, so as far as he is concerned, you know, it, as of right now, no, he's not calling the fight. But that could change. He just he still thinks that it's uh, it's a little shady, and it's it's still just weird timing. You know, it's it's weird to have a fight going on, and I understand wanting to do it, and obviously I want to watch the fights, but it, it's still weird, and, and having something like this happen to one of the fighters, uh, you, you feel bad for them, and it just makes the whole thing seem even even more trivial, right? I get it. I mean, I, I completely get it. I, com- I get this person backing out, and then I also get, you know, them wanting to try and do this. Yeah. Yeah, I get both sides of it. So I understand where it's uh, it's questionable to have the fights. I also get where we do need some kind of normalcy back, you know, in our lives. So I, I think there's a safe way to do these things. I don't yeah. think that everybody in the world has to lock themselves in a bubble. I do think you need privilege. I think it takes a lot of money and a lot of power and influence to be able to, you know, get different things um, to where you can have something like this. But if we can get that, then then I don't understand why we can't have it because it benefits everybody. It doesn't just benefit this one person going for a cash grab. Yeah. It benefits so many people. Everybody that's interested in this, it benefits, which yeah. is millions of people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This will be a, a massive thing. Big payday for the fighters, uh, an actual live sporting event that's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of fans. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be good. Um I mean, I don't see, I, I don't see any reason not to do it necessarily, uh, other than the optics of it. And if yeah. optics are a problem, um, people don't have to watch. You know, it is what yeah. it is. So, uh, let's go ahead and bring in Lynn. I'm gonna go ahead and call him and get him on the line. And I'll uh, I'll do the introduction here momentarily. Um, but yeah, I confirmed with him earlier. Hello. Hey, Lynn, how are you? I'm doing fine, Gary. Wonderful! It's so good to have you back on. Let me uh, let me do your introduction right quick. He's uh, he's Lynn Simon. You can follow him on Twitter at Lynn Simon Two on the advisory board of the NCPA. That's the National College Players Association. Uh, he has repped Major League Baseball and the San Diego Padres. He's repped leading agents in uh, the 2011-2012 NBA lockout. All the, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and you need to go back and listen to last week's episode if you have not already done so, uh, Mister Simon. How is everything going in your world right now? Oh, as good as can be expected in these crazy circumstances, we're doing fine. That's you. Uh, hey, we're we're about the same. We're about the same down here. We're we're still at home. We haven't left. <laughs> We've gotten delivery for uh, really since the last time that we spoke. And uh, and yeah, it's it's about to drive everybody insane. I think. Um, but we're we're getting there. We're getting there. Chris is doing the same thing. Um, we brought you in today. Hello, we didn't. Chris. We didn't get to How discuss. Are you, sir? <laughs> we, we didn't get to talk uh, all of the things that we wanted to last week. Uh, one of the big topics was the Major League Baseball stuff that's going on and the fact that you own a minor league team. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. The first thing I want to talk to you about 
there has been more news over the past week, uh, and you're involved with the NCPA. I'm curious your thoughts on the idea of these different uh, situations with the college football season that is coming up. Obviously, all of the other sports basically depend on having a college football season. Uh, everybody wants to talk to athletic directors. Everybody wants to talk to school presidents, you know, et cetera. Uh, we understand what the chain of command is. Obviously, the governors and the mayors and the CDC and everybody else are going to be ones that make the final call. But if you end up with a season with no fans and you end up with, you know, a, a different kind of circumstance than a player would typically go to a school for, uh, nobody is talking to the players about this. It, would it be inconceivable for a player to ask to sit out um, or really just have a, a feeling of where they don't want to play this season? Uh, would it, is there any chance that this could be up to the players? I know that that's a, a weird, long question, and well, I don't really know how to ask it. But it, Well, I, I think it depends on if you're talking about individual players or, or groups of players. You know, the players as a group really never act. You don't hear, you know, that the Alabama football team has voted, you know, not to practice on Wednesdays or that they need, you know, they need something they don't have. You hear individual players sometimes gripe, not usually at Alabama, but maybe at lesser, lesser places. And I think you, you certainly may see individual players decline to play. There may be people, you know, with medical conditions or people whose parents are leaning on them not to take any risks or people who are just, you know, they're bench warmers. They're, they're not, there's not that much upside to them playing one more season of football or even two. And if you tell them that you're going to open up in the summer, you're going to have, you know, summer workouts and you're going to have games and they're going to be well closer than six feet to a lot of large gentlemen between, you know, July or August and uh, Christmas, some of those people are going to bail. And I don't think they're going to be star players at, you know, Ohio State and Michigan. I think they're going to be lesser football players that they're going to bail. But there is no way for the players as a group to speak. That's one of the reasons that, you know, NCCA was formed was to attempt to speak for players. But when our executive director, Mr. Yuma, says something, he'll admit to you in a minute. He doesn't take a poll of all the players in the country. There's kind of no way to do it. So the players can't speak as a group. There's no union. There's no nothing. That is such a shame. Chris, do you, uh, did you have any topic on, uh, on that? Any well, my, my, my question was, is do you think if a player chose to sit out this year and they are a scholarship type player, can, can they, can they get another year of eligibility? If they choose to take some type of hardship to, to sit out for, you know, I guess you would consider this a medical reason? I think they would have another year of eligibility. The real question is whether they give them the scholarship the next year. My understanding is, you know, you show up at, you know, any place, you know, big school, small school, show up at Kentucky to play basketball and play one or two or three seasons. And the next year you say, you know, I decided to travel to Europe, you know, enjoy myself. And I'll be back. Maybe I'll be able to speak some Italian. And when you come back, you're eligible as heck. Um, but your scholarship may be long gone. So I think I think those are the, those are the two answers. Scholarship would depend on whether John Calipari really wanted him to play, and the uh, and the eligibility would be completely in the control of the player. Now there are places, you know, like the Ivy League has very tough rules on redshirting and things like that. And it's conceivable you could lose your eligibility at a few more academically inclined or picky places. But I think nine schools out of 10 
you'd be eligible. There is another trick to it, um, Gary and Chris, which is that if they've recruited other players, they may be over the um, they may be over the number of scholarships they can give out. And there's talk that the NCAA is going to give them additional scholarships. In other words, you know, you've got a basketball team, it's got 15 players, 15 scholarships, whatever. And, you know, if you let people come back, uh, well, take a spring sport, it's better, baseball. You let people come back next year, now you got really five years of players. And you, pro- you have freshmen who showed up who were promised scholarships, you probably have too many players. So in that situation, I think the NCAA is talking about giving them a waiver, letting them have a few extras. But if you took next year off and played the year after, you might be uh, might be out of luck on that scholarship. That's that's something that was brought up today. Um, Wisconsin announced, and, the, and I don't think they'll be the only Power 5 school to do this. Uh, Wisconsin has 35 spring sport seniors. And while they have all been granted waivers from the NCAA, and Wisconsin, along with everybody else, has been granted the uh, the ability to add those players back to their roster to go over their scholarship limit. Uh, Wisconsin has said, nope, like your career is done here. Uh, if you want to play elsewhere, you know you can request a, a transfer through the NCAA and all that. But uh, but your career at Wisconsin is done, and a lot of that is they don't uh, they're already facing financial hardships, and they don't have the money, or so they say, uh, to pay for those additional scholarships. Uh, and I'm curious yep. how that's going to be across the board. So it, I'm it, okay, you know, and I'd like to jump in on this. Go ahead. I'd like to jump in on this before you start answering. You can follow up and answer on this. I get in that situation, I get for all these smaller sports where you don't have a lot of scholarships to go around anyway, um, not being able to pay their scholarships. But just telling them not to come back and not taking them back on the team is something I don't understand, basically taking away their year of eligibility. So um, when the NCAA originally said we were going to – allow schools the ability to keep these guys another year of eligibility. My, my red flag went up and I said, Hmm, that that's a very funny way of wording it. Okay. And, and my question to my friends that were in a group chat with some other guys from Northwestern that talk about this stuff all the time, which is I, I don't trust these schools to do the right thing. So while the NCAA said now the school has the right to say they can have another year of eligibility, the school has to grant them that year of eligibility, not the NCAA. And my question is, is can that kid now from Wisconsin go to Arizona if they want to play? Can they go somewhere else? And that, that's just a you know, plain vanilla transfer. And you know, the transfer rules are a little bit up in the air. But yeah, he should be able to go someplace else. I think, I think you're entitled to four years of varsity eligibility, plain and simple. Now, there may be a few weird exceptions to that, but... Um, you're entitled to four years of eligibility and you use three of them up at Wisconsin, I think you got one left. And, you know, there used to be rules about sitting out. That's not what I'm talking about. They, they seem to be getting phased out. or We're almost disappearing when the coronavirus hit us and kind of interrupted the process. But he's got a year left. It's really it's really all the money about the scholarship, I think, is what they're talking about. But it ripples all over the place, guys. I was talking to somebody yesterday uh, at Duke who was pointing out to me that, that there were schools holding back on making offers of scholarships to high school juniors because they thought there was going to be a pileup of too many players on campus with scholarships 
in in two years. Uh, forget about this wow. year. They're talking about the year past that. So uh, they're already trying to sort of make room uh, or, you know, keep enough room to keep every high-quality athlete they have on campus, uh, no matter how this coronavirus thing plays out. And that may mean there's some high school juniors who would get a scholarship to play football at Wisconsin or basketball at Kentucky or, you know, baseball at Podunk who aren't going to get a scholarship offer, at least very quickly, while the coach holds back his scholarships to wait and see how this thing plays out, what the NCAA does, what his, what his college president tells him he's supposed to do. And then he wants, you know, he wants the best ball players on the, you know, on the field. Uh, and he wants flexibility. So he's already kind of, he's already got people he's got to take care of. And he's not taken out anymore. So I, I thought that was interesting that it's rippled down to kids in the 11th grade already. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's going to end up affecting basically everybody. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's talk Major League Baseball for a little bit. Um, I am very curious your thoughts on the idea of Major League Baseball isolating in Arizona. Uh, they would basically build a bubble, and nobody would get to leave uh, the city or the town or whatever it is. They have 10, 11, 12 different fields that they can use, and they can televise the season from all in one city. And they would do it by doing, you know, seven-inning doubleheaders, uh, et cetera. They're trying to get in as many games as possible. I know that you're familiar with Major League Baseball players and, and the yeah. way that Major League Baseball operates, et cetera. What are the odds of something like this actually happening? You know, they, they came out and said that it's a detailed uh, thing that they haven't put all of it together yet. But, you know, Chris and I are both of the belief that something like this could work, but these guys would be uh, away from their families, away from everybody for four to five months while they do a season. Now, Chris doesn't think that that's that big of a deal. I think some guys are going to, you know, not want to go that route. Uh, I don't know that you have to have everybody in favor of it, but I'm curious your thoughts on, on whether or not that's even feasible. Well, it, you know, it's creative as hell. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's possible. I mean, I think you have a lot of challenges. You know, one challenge is you don't really have quite enough fields, I don't think. You've got minor league fields and college fields. You know, Maybe you're close. Um, there is the issue of playing at an empty stadium, which is the whole, you know, issue by itself, which we could talk about, you know, football, whether you could play NFL or college football in a, you know, stadium with no people. But let's leave that aside for a minute because uh, baseball wants to start up sooner. And so you got to put, what, uh, 25 players on a team is 50. you got to have some umpires. you got to have some managers, coaches. Uh, I mean, you need people that, you know, the grounds crew. you got to have a couple hundred people near near one another, co- co- you know, exist, coexisting with one another. Uh, you couldn't do it in California. Our governor has already said, you know, no, uh, no crowds until, uh, I think he said, September. Uh, maybe he said later than that. Good gracious. So I assume they want to get started before September if they want to have a baseball season. Uh, I haven't heard the Arizona governor say anything one way or the other. So could you do it? Um, you need to account for the fact that some players might choose not to play because of the medical risks. And then, as you said, you, you may have players, you know, who have like a wife and a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and your home is pretty far from Arizona, and they're going to find it a tremendous hardship, and their family is, to be... Um, be away from home, you know, isolated for five months. That's, that's or like or sort of get 
Sort of getting shipped out yeah. to the Marines for five months. Yeah, exactly. That's you would be basically deployed uh, if you've got family members that are at risk yeah. for this virus, et cetera. Say somebody goes into the hospital and you need to leave, then do you end up being quarantined when you get back for fourteen days? I mean, had, I have no idea how this would even work, uh, but it is incredibly creative. And I mean, they're talking about doing this next month. They're talking about starting it up yeah, in I May. Mean, and look, the players want to play. You know, I'm San Diego. You know, we got Fernando Tatis Jr. here. Manny Machado, they're, they're going to say, let's go, you know, give me a bat, get a pitcher on the mound, I want to hit. And they're going to like the idea on day one. Now, whether they like the idea, you know, after being locked up in Arizona for 90 days, that's maybe a separate question. But uh, you have to look at the financial side of it too, guys, I think. Let's, let's look at it this way. They, in ordinary course, they're paying these players a boatload of money. And uh, they're getting it back from television revenues, and from gate receipts. So now the proposal is, let's do something really creative. Let's go to Arizona, isolate all these players, and we're going to get some of the television money, certainly not all, and we're going to get no gate receipts, zero. And baseball is a game that relies on gate receipts. You know, in the NFL, they always say that uh, the TV money is so good that you could play it in empty stadiums and they used to say this, you know, just as a joke to make the point, the economic point. They weren't talking about the coronavirus. They were just making an economic point to play the whole NFL season with no fans. And the teams would still come out ahead. Uh, baseball, I don't think that's true. Because the, the TV contract is smaller. And they're selling a ton of seats, 162 games a year. Oh, yeah. Teams have 80 home games. They draw 30,000 people a game, 35,000. That's a lot of tickets sold, a lot of hot dogs, and a lot of beer. So what are they going to pay the players? That's going to be negotiable too, right? If you play two-thirds of the season with no fans, I don't think they're going to pay them uh, full price. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think it would uh, – I think the idea behind this would have to be that, okay, we're going to start in May, but by you know middle of July, maybe the 1st of August – we will get to go back to the home stadiums. That seems to be the only way financially that that would work. Uh, otherwise, I mean, at some point, like, you, you have to just completely renegotiate every contract because some of these guys make well, massive money. Well, you could, re you could renegotiate the CBA, and that would, that would take care of that. You know, the way this works, if you look at it this way, uh, the, contract, the contracts would be valid except the CBA says the whole CBA is off, the collective bargaining agreement is off, if there's a national emergency. And we have a national emergency. So all the contracts really are, are dead. Um, so they could negotiate them back in on whatever terms that the union would agree. They have, they have to, what I'm saying is they don't have to talk to 600 players. They have to talk to the union and its representatives. And if the union and management agree, for example, that they'll play in Arizona, and they'll pay every player half of his salary, and the union signs the contract, that's the deal. And you can play for half your salary, uh, or you can go home. And the owners, similarly, there'll be some, you know, hardline owners will say, I don't want to pay him anything. I, you know, I don't want to play in empty stadiums. I don't like Arizona. They'll be stuck, too. This is a kind of a majority rule situation. The owners make a deal through their commissioner. Players make a deal through their union, and they play. So... Nobody's going to Arizona until, um, you know, Rob Manfred and uh, Tony Clark 
get together with whatever assistance they bring along and come up with a, an idea of you know, how much do you pay Mookie Betts was getting some, I don't know, what's he getting? Like an awful lot of money. Yeah. yeah, 30 million a year. How much do you pay a $30 million a year player for uh, a part of a season in Arizona? Uh, maybe you pay him 15 million. If you pay him 15 million, maybe you can afford to run a season. But if you look at it backwards, if you want to see if this, if this makes any sense, I suggest look at it backward a little bit. What if they had last year's World Series, which was a pretty exciting seven-game World Series, lots of drama, and they had it in a stadium with no people in it. Now, does that take the does that take the luster off the World Series? Uh, would people watch? Would people get excited? And if they would, you can have a World Series. You can have playoffs. And if you can have playoffs, you know, I guess you can make your way through the regular season. We've had seasons in all the major sports where we missed a bunch of games. You know, NBA lockout killed two months. They started playing on Christmas Day in 2011. <clears throat> the NFL had a 60-day strike in uh, the early 80s, and uh, baseball missed 50 games in 1981. So we've had all three major sports miss essentially just under two months of play and have a season and have a championship. And there's a few people who want to put asterisks on those championships, but most people accepted it. Now, they didn't play in empty stadiums. So that that's the experiment. You know, Can you play two-thirds of a season and call it a season? I think... The answer is yes, from history. Can you play two-thirds of a season in empty stadiums in all in one state? We've never tried that experiment before, gentlemen. Uh, you got that right. Chris, you want to hop in here? No, I mean, I just think that we, yeah, we, we've we never – we're about to try a lot of things that we've never done before um, with this thing. A, we have technology that we've never had in the past uh, during pandemics in the past, and uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and – we have a lot of things at our disposal today that we didn't have years and years and years ago. Um, and, and I've always poo pooed the idea that players aren't going to want to go. They might not want to go, but if they want to collect a paycheck, they'll go. And I'm, I'm the guy that y'all, y'all brought it up that I'm not, you know, singing these sad songs for these guys because they got to be away from their families for four months because everybody in the military has done that their entire life, their entire careers. Okay, so if you can't do it one time because of some weird thing and get paid an absorbent amount of money, you're still going to make more than the average person's ever going to make in their life. Then, you know, I, I don't I don't know what river you want me to cry in, but I'm not going to do that. I just want baseball back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point. Um, all right, we've already we've already gone 30 minutes on the show. Let me go on and jump into this topic. Uh, you own a well, co-own a minor league baseball team. Um, it is the the Lake Elsinore Storm. It's a Padres minor league affiliate in uh, in South California, Southern California. Uh, tell me about this. I don't understand how minor league teams work. I, I just want to know the the basics of this. We have one here sure. in Memphis that you know I, I've never understood the the financials. I don't understand. Uh, how the affiliation helps or, or what it does exactly. Can you kind of give me just yeah, a, a let, general... Let me explain it to you. Then you, know, you, can ask, explain, you can ask me some questions. So first of all, <laughs> okay. we have two kinds of minor leagues. We have affiliated and unaffiliated. Okay. But just so you know, in case you have some listeners sitting somewhere where they have a local team that's what's called independent or unaffiliated, that's a whole different business. And I, I we don't have time for that today. We could do it next <laughs> week or next month. 
The affiliated minor leagues are all teams that are farm teams of a major league team. By and large, there are seven levels of minor leagues from rookie ball up to AAA, and there are uh, 30 major league teams, so there's about 210 minor league teams. I'm cutting some corners and making some estimates here, okay? But that's pretty close. Gotcha. So the Mem- Memphis has what, the Redbirds? Redbirds, yeah. It's the uh, AAA Redbirds, for the, uh, they, the St. Louis Cardinals. Yep. For the Cardinals. So the Cardinals have seven minor league teams. It's a place where they can stat players who aren't good enough to play for them yet, and that's where high school kids that they sign after the draft or college kids that they sign after the draft get put someplace in that minor league system. They have If they play seven? better, they play better, they get promoted. They play worse, they get sent home. Once in a while, they get traded around to somebody else's minor league team. Okay, okay. The, the owners of the teams have a business relationship with the major league team. So we have a contract with the Padres, and the Redbirds have a contract with the Cardinals. But we don't have to negotiate the contract because it's a standard form contract really negotiated between MLB and the whole world of minor league baseball, which has its own organization called the National Association of Minor League Baseball Teams. So it's a standard form contract. So if the Redbirds get tired of working with the Cardinals and they want to become a Dodgers affiliate and that and that and the Dodgers want them, they have exactly the same deal they have with the Cardinals. And the deal is this. We'll give you uh, players, we'll give you uh, a manager, a uh, third base coach, a pitching coach, and a trainer. And we, the major league team, will pay their salaries. And you will provide them a field, you know, stadium. You'll bust them from place to place. And you will generally provide us a place for our players to improve or fail or get sent home. And we will control all the players. You'll control everything else. So, you know, if our shortstop in Lake Elsinore stinks, we can't fire him. We can't send him down. The, the Padres have complete control over him. Uh, but we have control over the stadium, the hot dogs, the beer, and everything else. I once was talking to a guy named Larry Lucchino. You might know the name. He, he ran the Orioles and later the Padres and later the Red Sox. He's a very smart business executive. And he said, when I was just getting into this, he said, Len, it's, it's kind of like your makes the movies. And what you do is you decide where the movie theater should be and how much rent you're willing to pay, how nice you want to make it, and what kind of food you want to sell and how much you want to charge for the food. And that's what you control. But Spielberg makes the movie. And that's, that's kind of what we do. We, we provide a place for them to play ball. And we attempt to sell enough tickets, enough hot dogs, and enough beer to uh, make some money or at least break even. Okay, so so the money side of it more so has to do with the facility itself and the concessions, etc. Uh, and and you have to make sure that there are butts in the seats to make sure that you're making money off of that, right? Right. Okay. And, so, and, and I should say that that most minor league teams uh, are closer to break even than they are to making or losing a lot of money. But also, most minor league teams go up in value over the years. So, you know, if you looked at my uh, 18 years as a baseball owner, um, I probably, you know, I make a few bucks one year, I lose a few bucks the next year. But after 18 years, the franchise is probably worth four times what it was worth when I bought it. And, th- and that uh, that is almost exactly what people said about Major League Baseball 20 years ago. Almost word for word, Major League Baseball teams, other than like the Yankees and the Dodgers, didn't make money 
But even if you had a crummy team, the value of the franchise would go from $25 million to $50 million to $75 million to $100 million. And you see this in a lot of, in a lot of sports. The Clipper, price of the Clippers went way up oh, yeah. uh, back, when they, back when they were terrible. And there's some magic about people owning, owning sports teams. They're, they're willing to pay and they're willing to bid against each other. So if you're trying to scratch your head and figure out why anybody would do this, I think the answer is that usually either they love the sport, which almost all of them do, or they're okay with putting up with mediocre financial results year to year because they know that when they sell, they'll make some decent appreciation. Well, that's okay. So this isn't necessarily baseball, but it, it kind of is in the, it's in the ownership realm. Uh, Chris and I have talked about this for years about the San Diego Chargers leaving San Diego and going to Los Angeles to be second fiddle to the Rams. Uh, now they're going into a stadium where they have to pay, uh, and they've got you know some kind of a sweetheart deal and whatnot. But I am curious, you know, if you are in a uh, a city like San Diego where you feel you know you are the team, right? Why would you go to L.A. to be second fiddle to somebody else? And we talked about how the the team's valuation in L.A. is worth so much more than San Diego. What what does that entail? How how does how do they become more valuable just because they're in Los Angeles? Uh, it's, it's a it's a sad story, you know, for those of us in San Diego. I used to be a Chargers fan, and now I root for whoever's playing the Chargers that week. So <laughs> I can um, it. it's a very sad story. I was even even on the mayor's task force. San Diego set up a mayor's task force to try to find a way to keep the Chargers in town. So as you can see, we didn't do so good. We are but, not um, big Spanos fans. We we no, no, have they, talked a lot of hatred. No, they're, well, yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not the nicest people in the world. But the answer to your question is, because it's a bigger market, it's believed that people will pay more for luxury boxes, for season tickets, for advertising, promotion, sponsorship, and everything else. That's That's basically it. And, you know, it turns out to be to be mostly true now the chargers are i mean having two teams in the in city is a, is a strange situation you know if you move from if you move from podunk to you know a place that doesn't have a team i mean when the cardinals moved to phoenix phoenix might have been a better market than where they came from which i believe was st louis um and maybe that makes some sense uh because it's a bigger it's a bigger market and all those things are true but they didn't have to share the market with anybody else. So I think what you have is you have two things going on. Los Angeles is a place where you can make a lot more money, but you have to share. So the Spanos family had to make a decision whether sharing it with, was uh, was going to take away all the benefits of being in the bigger market. But I mean, think about the Yankees. You know, they're, everything is so is so pricey there in terms of their relationship with their fans and their sponsors and their their advertisers that there's obviously more money to be made. True. The, 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 you know, the Cowboys, uh, you know, mint money, uh, and you'd say, well, that's a big-name team, but I would say Green Bay is a big-name team, but you can't mint money in Green Bay, Wisconsin. 100% true. 100% true. Now, at, back to minor league baseball, you said that the, the Cardinals have like seven affiliates. Is is that common across the board? I mean, that just that yeah, seems they have, like yeah, they so have, many. They have, well, they have triple A, double A, then there's high A, which is where we are, and low A. And those are the four. Those are the four that you might recognize where most of the most of the best ball players are. But there is also something called short season, which is a place where they stick the players 
the year they sign coming out of high school and college, because by the time they get done with their high school and college seasons, you know, it's, it's May and, uh, everybody's already up and rolling. So they want to put them someplace where the competition is a little slower and easier. And the coaches are a little more patient and get them, you know, attuned to playing, uh, professional baseball instead of college baseball. And then there's rookie league and there's a bunch of things they have near their spring training facilities that are for the youngest guys and for the Caribbean guys. Cause the, the Americans can't come in until they're 18. They can't sign a contract, but the Caribbean guys can sign when they're 16. So we have 16 year olds with tremendous, I don't mean we, the Padres have 16 year olds with tremendous baseball um, skills for a 16 year old can't speak a word of English, never been in the United States, and they've got a lot to learn. And so they take them to Arizona, where the spring training facility is, and they have a rookie league and, you know, rookie uh, orientation. So if you add those up, you get you get up to about six or seven, and that's where we're at. Although I should say that, that you know, there's an effort being made by Major League Baseball to reduce the number of levels. You may have seen it in the paper about six months ago. Yeah, we, we should have been over been overcome by the coronavirus but some people in minor league baseball who are fearful of this think that the coronavirus will be the best excuse the major leagues can have for uh, knocking off some of those levels but major league baseball thinks there's probably one or two too many levels the uh kevin towers uh dear deceased wonderful man who used to be the general manager of the padres would always say can you please get rid of double a AA or triple a because i don't need them both you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'd be just fine with one of those and the rest of the rest of what you have. Most of his, you know, his peers now around are saying, well, get rid of the rookie league and that other junk down at the bottom. I don't need that. But either way, what they're talking about is at five levels or six levels would be plenty. That is, uh, that is a lot of play. Do you have any idea how many players a major league baseball team is actually paying at one time? Just curious. <laughs> Well, they pay the minor leaguers very little, but yeah, I mean, it should be, if you have seven teams, you know, in the middle of the season, if you have seven teams with uh, 25 players on a team and a few guys on injured reserve, what's that? Seven times 30 is um, That's a, 210. Yeah, That's sound right? Yeah. Good. Well, plus, plus the major, I missed the major leaguers. It's eight levels if you count MLB. So yeah, 250. That but, is you know, they don't pay the minor is. leaguers much at all. And that's a big controversy. Um, there was a lawsuit uh, claiming that they weren't being paid minimum wage because uh, you have to pay employees for travel time. So you got to actually pay them for every hour they spend on a bus. Yeah, I, and, could, uh, uh, that, I could see that. So college football yeah, uh, analyst Joel Klatt, was, uh, it, he always talks about his minor league experiences, and he said, we were traveling all the time. It, it was play yep. a game, you know, play another, or play, play two games, Travel to wherever you're going next. Play two more games, three, whatever it is, and and you there was no breaks, no downtime. He said more guys were on drugs, more guys had alcohol problems, etc. Because there was once the game was over, you had to find a way to decompress because there was no break, there was no time off. Well, yeah, well, and actually, um, one of the complaints that Major League Baseball is making about why they want to cut down the minor leagues is they say that the the bus rides are too long, and there are leagues like the Texas League, I think, in which the cities are teams are pretty far apart, and so you do spend like nine hours on a bus. And there's other leagues where you know it, it's more populated area, and the teams tend to be two hours apart. So 
that's one of one of the grievances for Major League Baseball. Get rid of the longer bus rides, and then their other grievance is specific grievances. Other than there's just too damn many teams, the other specific grievance is some of the facilities are pretty pretty old and beat up. Oh, yeah. So uh, they're they're pushing pretty hard to uh, try to get rid of the old and beat up stadiums. Fortunately, ours is only about I don't know eighteen or twenty years old, so. Uh, uh, we don't have any, I don't think we have any problems in, in those regards, and, and our league isn't too crazy in terms of in terms of travel. So, how, um, how many people does your uh, does your stadium hold? We hold about six thousand. Six thousand, that is significant. Yeah. The the one in Memphis hold. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. It only holds like forty five hundred, right? Yeah, I don't think AutoZone Stadium is very big. Yeah, AutoZone Park is not huge. They they have also started a uh, a USL franchise. Uh, you know, but it's nice. Yeah, it's really nice. Like I mean, when it was built, it was now that's several years ago. When it was built, it was built as one of the nicer minor league stadiums in the country. Yeah, it is. It's insane. yeah. I would say forty five hundred is small for AAA. Yeah, uh, but you know, if it's nice, nice, nice is nice is nice. You know, brings in brings in that, the fans and. We we don't fill our place that many times, so you know six thousand is okay. But we don't we don't need every last seat. I think that seats though. We also have like the entire right uh, left field is nothing but a big bluff, a big grassy knoll area. Um, I don't know how they equate the amount of seats that is, or if they equate any. So it could be that it's got forty five hundred seats, and, it's and then got, you've like, got 6, the bluff, million. which yeah. might hold a thousand people. Yeah. That's that makes sense. Uh, Tim McCarver Stadium is the stadium that we used to have, and that well, was for the the Double A uh, yeah. Memphis Chicks way back when. And Chris, do you remember what affiliation that was? The Royals. The Royals. Watch Bo Jackson play baseball there. Absolutely. I, I remember I went to a game uh, against the Birmingham Barons and got to see Michael Jordan play uh, yeah. way back when. But uh, but yeah, it, that it was the whole stadium was was basically wooden. I mean, it was wooden seats. Yeah. It was. It was. That's an old stadium. Yeah. It was. Mr. Lynn, it was that's an old stadium. <laughs> it was. Now, it was now, crazy. Now, do people now do people in the Memphis area root for the Cardinals or they root for somebody else? Uh, they. This has been a Cardinals town for even longer than uh, than we had the Royals I, affiliation. I, okay. Yeah. All right. We're five hours from Atlanta. I'm going to tell you that. Uh, Atlanta, well, the Braves were really good. Four, yeah. Six hours from Atlanta, five hours from St. Louis. There's a pretty big Braves following here. Um, as well. Those are probably the two local teams. And then you've got a lot of Cubs fans because for a long time, the only TV baseball we ever got was Braves on, on uh, Turner CBS. and yep. then WGN. Ted Turner, yeah. Yep, WGN. Yep. And, then, and then you've got yep. the, the Chicago teams and nobody wanted to be a White Sox fan, so everybody liked the Cubs. So those are probably yep. the three. I don't know that I would say the Cardinals have more fans than the Braves around here. I, I might beg to differ, well, but we can unfortunately argue Unfortunately, in Lake Elsinore, <laughs> Lake Elsinore we're, we're almost equidistant between uh, the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Padres. So, you know, the folks who live in the community, some of them would rather see the young Dodgers making their way up, and others would rather see the young Angels. But we probably have more than our share of Padre fans right now. But it isn't like, you know, having the Yankees have a friend, have a minor league team in Staten Island or someplace like that where everybody around is a Yankee fan and you do get a lot of interest from the real you know baseball fans to um, come out and see the young guys and then they can go out you know go to the bar and tell their friend hey I saw the new third baseman you know he's a good kid from Puerto Rico he's still be playing third base in a year or two in the big stadium everybody likes to be sort of ahead of everybody else oh, in yeah. the information 
market. So uh, it right. helps if you have that if you have that crossover. That's it. It blows my mind. You saying that that they have two hundred and fifty guys on the payroll, even if they're you know underpaying a lot of them. Uh, it just it makes me think about you know trade deadlines and all. Like, why would you ever worry about trading if you've got that many guys to pick from? It's just it's bananas to me. So it, yeah, there's a there's a guy. I mean, I don't know what they do in the computer age, really, but you know there used to be, and I think there still is, a guy with a huge whiteboard, and he's got the whole the whole thing laid out there on his wall. So because you know people get hurt. Oh yeah. So you know if if our if our shortstop gets hurt. We have a choice. We we can we can put the they have a, the Padres have a choice. They can put the backup shortstop out there, uh, but he might. And say a guy gets hurt badly, he's going to miss two months. They can put the backup shortstop out there, but he may not be a guy that they think is long for this world anyway. You know that he's just not, they're they're phasing him out, so they may promote the the shortstop from one level lower, who they think is a real you know up and comer. So now they have no shortstop in low A. So they have to find a guy to move him there. So it's like a big, you know, it's a big uh, superstructure of players at each at each position. And if you watch Major League Baseball closely, you'll see that there are pitchers, relief pitchers especially. They're in the majors for a week, and they're in AAA for a week, and they're back in the majors for a week, and back in AAA for a week. And that's to do with you know saving the arms of your relief pitchers and. Uh, other guys getting hurt, and whether the team that's coming to town has a lot of lefties or a lot of righties, but they're kind of bouncing back and forth. Somewhere in Padre land and, you know, Cardinals land, there's a pitching coordinator, and he knows he knows who every pitcher is in the system, from the ace of the staff down to the lowest level minor leaguer, and he knows that if somebody disappears, this is who you replace them with. If somebody gets traded, this is who you replace them with. And, you know, if there's one guy for infielders, one for outfielders, one for pitchers, one for catchers, then you've got that, you can sort of master that whole, uh, that whole circus. That is, that is bananas. That is so crazy to me. That's, uh, that is one of the big selling points for the Redbirds here in town, uh, since they are the AAA affiliate, when the Cardinals need to rehab somebody or, or whatever, they send them down to Memphis for, you know, a week or two, and, uh, and then they go right back up to the major leagues. But while they're down here, uh, I remember David Freeze was here for, I think, two weeks the year after the Cardinals won the World Series, and Freeze was uh, was the, the MVP of the World Series. And, you know, I went out to dinner with him, uh, myself and, and my buddy Zach, and it, it everywhere he went, everybody in town knew who he was, and it was incredible to see. Uh, but as soon as he left, it went back down to, you know, you had 1,500, 2,000 people at the ballpark, uh, but every game that he was there, regardless of whether he played or not, uh, they sold out every night. And that always tends to help. But, yeah, it, it, having a guy that knows every single detail of one position seems so insane to me because we're, you know, we're mostly football guys. Uh, in the NFL, you don't really have to worry about that much detail. But in, in Major League Baseball, it is, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different world. Yeah, but by the way, when Freeze was up there, the other major leaguers come up. It's a little added bonus for the uh, for the players in the minor leagues. Usually, they often take the players all out for steak dinners when they're down there, and uh, which they which they don't get on a regular basis. And Trevor Hoffman was was on a on a rehab assignment to our place several years way back, middle of his career. Uh, 
And he didn't like the television they had in the clubhouse, so he bought him a brand new widescreen TV. <laughs> yeah, but I'm betting he was so, pretty popular there for a while. <laughs> so ha- having the guys with the big contracts come through from time to time is, uh, you know, it works. I mean, Vlad- Vladimir Guerrero was down there. He was on rehab for um, the Angels, but we were playing the Angels affiliate. And Guerrero uh, asked for a meeting with all the Hispanic players on both teams, and he took them out in the outfield, and he had a little chat with them about you know playing baseball in the United States. I thought it was pretty nice. That's that's pretty cool. I, I love guys that uh, that do more than than what they are supposed to do. You know, that's my they, top five favorite player. Oh yeah. So that I, I, I remember just talking about him. <laughs> yeah. All right, we have uh, we have gone over fifty minutes, uh, Mr. Simon. Thank you so much again for joining us. We will uh, we will be having you back on again. I'm sure that there will be even more news that breaks that we are going to want your uh, your detailed opinions on. Um, everybody, go follow him on Twitter at Lynn Simon Two. Uh, he is a fantastic follow. Make sure that you go and subscribe, follow whatever you want to call it. Uh, Mr. Simon, thank you so much. We will uh, we will definitely be having you back on. Thanks very much. Go online and check out our great uh, our great hats and our great logo in Lake Elsinore. We sell a ton of them. It's, hey, you know what? We'll, uh, Chris and I will go ahead and tweet that out here in just a little bit. It's, it's the eyes of the storm. They're, they're very popular. Oh, talk I to can, you later. I can get down with that. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you okay, soon. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Ah, yes. Uh, Mr. Simon is such a, a fantastic listen, man. He's He's got so much knowledge. So much knowledge. Uh, Chris, anything you want to hit on before, uh, before we head out? No, that's it. That is it. What a, uh, what a great listen. Good gracious. All right. Uh, everybody knows the deal. Winningcureseverything.com is the website. Go and check it out. Picks, previews, podcasts, videos, social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Make sure you follow us over there. Uh, watch the show on Twitch. Watch the show on YouTube, etc. Make sure you are subscribed and you can always subscribe to the podcast, whichever of your favorite podcast apps you want to listen to. We are on it, I guarantee you. Make sure you leave a nice review. Jump in on the comments. Leave some comments for us. We would definitely appreciate it. Uh, Chris, this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. Tomorrow will just be you and myself, no guests. We are going to have an absolute ball. Hopefully, everybody will join us. Uh, we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks for checking out Winning Cures Everything. If you want to keep up with us, hit subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Visit the website at winningcureseverything.com or you can like us on Facebook or follow us at Winning Cures, at GaryWCE, or at Chris B. Giannini on Twitter. Share out the show, leave a nice review, and make sure to comment and tweet at us. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.